Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. baptisms. It's one of the reasons we're here. It's one of the reasons we exist is we want to see people uh, encourage, equip and empower people to say yes to Jesus. And when people do take that decision or make that decision of getting baptized, they're actually saying yes to Jesus. They're saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died and rose again. I believe he's the son of God. I believe that he uh, lived a perfect life and he paid the price for sin on that cross. And I've accepted him as Lord and Savior. He rose three days later. He takes away my sin and he gives me life and an eternal life. And so when uh, someone gets baptised, that's what that reflects. It reflects this personal decision to say yes to Jesus. Now, does baptism save you? No, the act of baptism doesn't actually save you. Uh, You're saved by grace through having faith in Jesus, but the baptism is this symbol or this outward expression of saying, I am a believer in front of God and in front of everyone here this morning. It's kind of the stake in the sand or a line in the sand type of moment. This is who I am. This is who I'm following. And so this morning, uh, we've got Martin and Luke. They're going to come up and they're going to share their testimony. Uh, this is, this, they're a little bit nervous. We don't want to, oh, by saying that, they probably feel even more nervous. Sorry, guys. Uh, but make them feel welcome uh, as they come on up. They're going to share their stories, their testimonies. Uh, of how they come to know Jesus, how they've grown in that relationship over a period of time. Uh, I'll get you to come on up, guys. We're going to get Luke to go. Actually, Martin's, Martin's dad, Luke's his uh, son. Uh, you can't tell the difference, really. You look like brothers. Isn't that great? We're going to go with you first, Luke. Uh, we'll get you to come on up here and, and uh, share. Oh, I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> I'm pretty emotional, so I'll probably cry a lot. <sighs> so, hello everybody. My name is Luke, um, and this is my testimony and journey to faith. Uh, I grew up in a Christian family. I always believed in God, but did not practice Christianity. Uh, I didn't read the Bible, go to church, uh, sometimes prayed, but only when I wanted something. <laughs> Growing up, I was morbidly obese and did not have any friends. And uh, during my time at school, I was teased, bullied, basically my whole schooling life. Desperately trying to fit in, I started to hang out with the wrong people, I started doing drugs and smoking. I didn't want to, but uh, I wanted to fit in that bad, so I wanted the bullying to end. Eventually, I forgot about God, but he didn't forget about me. From the age of 16 till 22, I was in a rut and nearing rock bottom. I started losing weight, which was great, uh, but I, I wasn't eating, and I was severely mistreating my body. I started going to the lakeside because my dad started to go, and uh, I wanted... He wanted some company. And I believed in God, so I decided to go once in a while. <laughs> During this time, I was still heavily on drugs, even though I knew it was affecting my asthma, my life, my faith, and financially, I had no money. Till one day, I had a severe asthma attack. I could not breathe and was rushed to hospital in ambulance. In hospital, they said I was very lucky, and uh, they said it was a very serious asthma attack. I went home a few days later, and... Uh, like an idiot, I started smoking again. <laughs> then had another attack, this time that always, almost took my life. I was in hospital for days. I couldn't move out of bed or do anything without oxygen. During this time in hospital, I lost so much weight, I was then borderline anorexic at just 49 kilos. I can't explain the physical and emotional effect. This... <laughs> This had on me. Not being able to breathe, 
and thinking that I was just going to die. During my time in hospital, I watched many different people come and go. There was a woman who had cancer and had pneumonia. She was there for two days and all of a sudden she disappeared. Then there was a man one morning I listened to the doctors tell this man that he had liver cancer and had six months to live. This man was devastated, I could tell. He spent six hours that day staring out the window. I've always been a very kind-hearted person, but always kept to myself. So it was a surprise to me when I got up and wanted to comfort him. I could not move much, but I got up and started comforting him and talked to him. I said to him, do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, that's good. I remember saying to him, don't be afraid. I said to him, have faith. And later on that night, I prayed for him. The next morning, the doctor gave him a choice, either have surgery or not. He was not going to do it, but I managed to convince him, which I like to think that had an impact. And I like to think he survived. I didn't know, but yeah. Many more people came and went. This was starting to take such a toll on me emotionally, seeing so many people come and go. This made me question whether or not I was going to survive or die. I started to pray and ask the Lord, please help me. I was sorry. I forgot about you, Lord. I was then given a Bible by a guy from Lakeside. His name was Roy. Great guy. He came and seen me at hospital. I started to read it, even though I'm a terrible reader. I prayed and read every night and spoke to God a lot about all different things. Even though I forgot and abandoned him, he did not abandon me. A few days later, by the grace of God, I started to get better and knew that the Lord was giving me a second chance at life. I soon left hospital better, but still nowhere near fully recovered. I was so mentally scarred that I could not sleep in my room where I had the attacks. So I slept on the couch for six months. <laughs> uh, I tried blow-up mattresses, and, but none of that made a difference. It, they'd just give me massive anxiety attacks. It was hard because I was so broken from the experience. I then had to tackle things like anxiety, post-traumatic stress, and depression. After recovering from hospital, I then started going to Lakeside again, but way more often. I would go every week, but work started to get in the way, and I would have weeks off and sometimes months off, but I kept praying and practicing the Word of God. After a while, my anxiety and depression started to go when I started going to the gym and getting closer to God. I struggled for the next year and a half, though, with my walk, and I would go up and down, but I always remembered what God did for me and continued to do for me. Soon after, I then met two absolutely amazing people. Their names are Joe, Owen, and my dad, of course. Um, well, I didn't just meet him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah um, Dad already was friends with Joe and Owen, and he asked me if I wanted to meet them. So I came along with him had a, had to have a coffee. After a while, we started to get to know each other a lot more and became good friends. Can't explain how much they have helped me with my faith, with any questions I had. Me, Dad, Joe and Owen now go and have coffee every fortnight at the Dome Cafe where we talk about the week we've had and most importantly about the Lord. It's because of Joe, Owen, Dad, Roy and of course the Lord that I am where I am in my faith today and for that I'm truly thankful. I went from being broke, unhealthy, not wanting to work and near death to being very healthy, now going to the gym five days a week having a full-time job and financially stable, the Lord truly saved my life. <laughs> he gave me a second chance. <laughs> Praise God. Um, I still go up and down, and I'm not perfect, but I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for God. I stand before you today sharing my testimony and faith and that the Lord Jesus is my saviour, and I love him. Thank you. Good job. Let me pray for Luke. Father, I thank you for Luke. I thank you for his story, Lord, and uh, the courage of him to come up here and share it and the vulnerability and just the struggle, but also the, the, um, the breakthroughs, Father. 
Uh, the very fact that he's standing here today is an enormous breakthrough. Father, uh, the, his story highlights that, that you bring different people into our lives at different times to encourage us and to point uh, us to you. And, and we've heard that in Luke's story. Father, you're not a God of second chances. You're a God of third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, lots and lots of chances. And so, Father, I thank you for Luke. I pray and ask that he would continue to grow uh, in his understanding and experience of you. Steps forward, step forwards. Yeah, he might drop a little bit, but just keep moving forward, Lord, and that he knows that you love him and that you died for him and that he has eternal life through you. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Didn't he do a great job? Thanks, Luke. Your dad needs the mic. Yeah, he does. Morning, everybody. I'm starting already. <laughs> that's all right. That's good. It's funny. Uh, I'll just, while you gather yourself, Luke was telling me about the Dome and Martin was telling me about how they go to Dome every week, every couple of weeks, and uh, they, they pray. And uh, Martin's a bit concerned that all the people at Dome are like, who are these weird people that order coffee and then stare at the floor uh, for about 20 minutes? But bless you. Go for it. All right. Yeah. Um, I think my journey here uh, has been guided by God for sure. Um, my life's just been pain and suffering. Um, I can count the good things that have happened to me in my life on one hand, probably. A good friend of mine told me that uh, God is like a ship's rudder. If you move forward, he'll steer you in the right direction. Okay, here we go. Good morning, everyone. My name is Martin. I'm here to talk a little bit about my journey becoming a Christian today. I have three children, Andrew, Luke and Jasmine, and my wife, Sharon. I come from a Christian background with my dad being a Christian from the age of 14. I've been attending Lakeside Church for about five years now, on and off, and have attended one and a half Alpha courses. <laughs> Growing up wasn't always easy, because I was often severely bullied at school. I was a skinny kid, severe asthma. School was often hard due to me having to move to four different primary schools at a young age. I often failed all my subjects in school because of the content never sinking in properly. The teachers claiming I was playing around and they never bothered to help me anymore. Unfortunately, after a while, I gave up. I sat at the back of the classroom. As a kid, a young teen, I was very gullible and trusting. Many people would take advantage of me and my kindness. For instance, I've lost thousands of dollars in unpaid work. Um, I gave a car to a guy once to pay off because he had a small child. It was the only car I had. Two weeks later, he was gone. The car was gone. Silly me. My parents ended up separating when I was at the age of seven. I eventually ended up leaving home at 17. Things weren't always the best at home. I met my wife at the age of 22 at Albany, in Albany. At the time, two of my friends were attending the local church. And so I went along with them. I was going to church for about six months until I found full-time work. I was a part of the building industry as a subcontractor. I found work very demanding. Unfortunately, <clears throat> I stopped attending church. Around this time, I started to mix with the wrong crowd, do the wrong thing, substance abuse. I was in my late 30s when I started to struggle with work more. I found myself often tired, out of breath, because I was an asthmatic. I'd smoke a pack of cigarettes a day. The doctor ended up warning me when I was young that if I keep this habit up, I'll be dead by the time I'm 40. Back then, my mindset was, you've got to die of something. Looking back, I see how foolish my mindset was and how many signs from God I received to change. Sure enough, at the age of 40, I had a large asthma attack and was taken to hospital. 
at the time, I remember thinking, this had to be bad. Because I'd never had an asthma attack this bad before in the past. They put me on a large amount of medication, but none of it would help. I remember lying in bed thinking, this was it for me. I remember speaking to God, pleading that I'd change. The next medication they tried started to work. Two or three days later, I was stable. After I shunned God, he never left me. He just kept pursuing me. Sorry. Can't help myself. They ended up... They ended up taking me down for an X-ray only to find out that I had advanced emphysema and it's irreversible. At the time, I didn't know how to react. The first thing in my mind was family, my kids having no father, my wife having no husband. Thanks, buddy. I felt a strong urge to move out of Albany at the time. So we did. We put everything in storage and left Albany. At the time, we had to find the money for a car because I was had a, I'd only had a work yet. I wasn't the best steward of my money. But we ended up purchasing a cheap car and left heading for Bunbury. We didn't know where we were going, but ended up staying in a Bun- in Bunbury for a week. After that, we had ran out of money. We ended up waiting for money from the pension to help us out. We then left the caravan park and headed towards Perth. I knew a person from my past there. So we stayed with them for a week. It was five of us in this little tiny room. We looked every day for a house. By the end of the week, we found a house. I loaned the money of my mum to move in. That was my journey from Albany to Perth. Over the next eight years, we lived in three other different houses until Homes West provided us with a house located in Yangebup. It was a lovely house, church down the road. Unfortunately, I never ended up going to that church. We were happy living in the house for about six months until one morning we woke up. My daughter at the time was in year six. We had woken up. <coughs> Sorry had woken her up to go to school. My daughter didn't want to go that day, but on that day, I had a strong urge to make her go to school. So she did. It was just something, I don't know what it was. It was she just had to go. That afternoon, Sharon was in the lounge on the computer playing a game. While I was in the bedroom watching a movie, Sharon decided to just, she, le- she left the room. She basically just got up and walk to the laundry for no reason. The dogs also followed her there. We both heard police sirens, what sounded like a car being chased. Tragically, it turned down our road. Next thing we knew, we heard a loud, horrendous bang. Nothing like you ever heard. It was like when you crunch up owl four, it was like someone crunching up sheets of tin and bricks and... nothing I'd ever heard before and then, and then silence which is complete silence there was a big cloud of smoke coming through the house I ended up rushing to the lounge to find a car had run through the home and destroyed the whole front end of the house last thing I knew Sharon was there I didn't see where Sharon was so my heart started to race I panicked I turned around thank God Sharon was behind me Oh, me safe. As well as Andrew and Luke, and both our pets. That day, if Jasmine didn't stay, if Jasmine stayed home, she wouldn't be in the lounge. She would have been in the lounge. <coughs> Most likely, wouldn't be here with us today. Sharon ended up explaining that something seconds before the accident was urging her to get up and to leave. She got up and left 20 seconds after she got up. 
That was it. The house was destroyed. The car went through the house. I thank and praise the Lord that he intervened, saved my little girl and my partner. Thank you, Jesus. After we had, <coughs> after we had to move out due to the house was being, was, wasn't safe anymore. Luckily, Holmes West had found us another house quite quickly and we moved into Hamilton Hill. Around that time, I had to start my physio for my emphysema. I had a choice. Sorry. Between the hospital, Melville or Lakeside. I ended up choosing Lakeside. As they're all the same distance, so I don't know why I choose here. I saw the church sign there but didn't know where a church was in the building. I had this lovely man greet me every week and asked how I was. I ended up asking if there was a church here. Sure enough, there was. I ended up coming along on and off to start with. He would often come over, have lunch, or bring it for us as well to chat. Roy Robertson was his name. He encouraged me. Encouraged me so much. Then I met my good friend Joe and Owen. They've been my rock. Encouraging me, guiding me, speaking on the phone with me when I need advice. They're the two best friends I've ever had in my life. Sounds funny, but it is. It's true. Every fortnight, <coughs> we've been meeting at the Dome Cafe. Fifteen years ago, I was a different person, sometimes very angry. I would say things to people just to hurt them. I only cared about me and my family. I used to say that I can't cry. Tear ducts were broken. Boy, am I different now. Now it's a miracle how God works in our lives little by little. God has been moulding me and my family into good people. I'm now more of a Christ-like person. He has given me compassion. It allowed me to be more loving. He has softened my heart. I now get emotional, as you can tell, easily. I'm caring. I'm not angry anymore. I feel more at peace. I've never been like that. My kids tell me how much I've changed. I owe it all to God, Lakeside, friends, and the people around me. I believe if God didn't take me out of Albany, I wouldn't be here in front of you all today. In the words of broken vessels, amazing grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now, now I see. I'm here today to acknowledge God's love for me and my family by being baptised. Thank you. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for Martin, Lord. Thank you for his story. Thank you again for his courage to get up here and share it, Lord. Thank you that uh, you've been moulding and shaping and transforming him. Uh, the old him and now the new him. You say that uh, when we say yes to you, we are new creations. And Father, we know, and, and Martin knows that his body is breaking down, Lord, but we know that he is secure in you, that he has a new body in you, that he has life because of you, Father. Lord, we pray and ask that you would continue to work in his life, in his family's life, Father, that he would be uh, that example in his family. I know he, he, he longs to be that and he strives to do that, Help him to do that, Father. But again, we thank you today as he declares that you are his God. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Give Martin another clap. Great work, brother. Wow. Thanks, guys, uh, both of you, for sharing uh, your testimonies. Bit of a hug there. Lots of hugs. That's great. I just want to say, Martin and Luke, both of you, um, thank you. I know how hard that was for you guys. 
but also for your vulnerability to share it and just, uh, uh, just how you've been on this journey. We've all seen it, so thank you very much. And we look forward uh, to uh, baptising you. Martin was... I did joke with Martin and, and say you have to wear Speedos. And then this morning he came and he said with a real face, I've got my Speedos, and I actually thought he had them. And I was like, Martin, uh, do you? He's like, I was only kidding, but he almost had me. But we look forward to you getting baptised. Let, let's get into it. Let me pray. Father, again, thank you for those stories. Father, we come to you right now. Our hearts are full already, Lord, after hearing uh, those powerful testimonies. Lord, but we pray as we do look at your word, uh, your, your spirit would just mould us, shape us, give us ears to hear as well. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Actually, uh, really good testimonies to lead into what I want to share uh, about this morning. Uh, there's the, the story where Jesus was out ministering, and you know that Jesus, in the last three years of his life, he was actively out ministering, teaching, uh, uh, preaching, healing people, uh, caring for people, uh, healing sick people, casting out uh, demons, all that kind of stuff. But there's this one story that he is out doing what he was doing, teaching and, and preaching, and he hears news that his friend Lazarus, now he was good friends with this man named Lazarus, and he hears that his friend, his good friend, his close friend, which he loves, is sick. And it's not just a normal sick, he's really, really sick. And they say, Jesus, your friend Lazarus, who you love, is really sick. You need to come to his house to heal him. Now, Jesus hears this news, and we, again, we know that he really loves, he loves Lazarus, he's, he's close with Lazarus. But then we read in the story that Jesus didn't leave. Jesus continued to do what he was doing. For another three days, in fact, Jesus didn't do anything. And then all of a sudden, Jesus decides to head back to Lazarus' house. Now, Jesus knows at this point that Lazarus had actually already died. As Jesus was getting closer to uh, Lazarus's village, he, he's getting close into the, the, the grounds, I suppose. We read that one of his sister, Lazarus' sister, comes up to Jesus and said, Jesus, Jesus, if only, if only you were here sooner, if you were here sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus has this uh, encounter with her and says, it's okay. Do you believe? Do you believe that I'm the saviour? Do you believe I am who I say I am? And she says, yes, Jesus, I believe, I believe. Anyway, Jesus is getting closer to, to the household where Lazarus is. And, and obviously, again, Lazarus has already died. And very similar to our culture, when someone dies, there is mourning and grieving. And if you've been in that situation, you know there is mourning and grieving. The family and the loved ones come together and people cry and they weep and they reflect and, and there's sadness. And so as Jesus gets closer to Lazarus' house, he hears this mourning, he hears this weeping, he hears people crying. He hears people sad and upset. And again, if you've been there, you know what that is like. When you hear someone cry, a deep, deep cry, from a guttural kind of a sad, you can hear the sadness in, in the tears. You can hear the sadness in the, the moaning. That is what Jesus is hearing as he's walking and getting closer to where Lazarus is. People upset and extremely sad. And we read the text and it says that Jesus became angry. Actually, it said that his spirit was troubled or his spirit was agitated and that he became angry. Now, why was Jesus troubled? Why was Jesus agitated? He knew that he had the power to be able to raise Lazarus from the dead. Was he agitated that they were, didn't have enough faith that Jesus could do that? No. He was troubled. And he was angry because he knew that this isn't the way it was meant to be. That sin came in and destroyed and break, broke everything. That he was troubled and angry because his friend Lazarus had died. Because then not long after that, we read the, the shortest verse in the Bible. And it said that what? Jesus wept. Now this isn't wept as in like one little tear came out of his eye. He cried. Jesus was moved to tears. Jesus, after hearing that his friend Lazarus, who he loved, had died, and hearing everyone else mourn and cry, Jesus too would mourn and cry. You see, Jesus was a God, or Jesus was, showed empathy. He could relate to that situation. He, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And in that situation, he was moved to tears. He was moved to weep. 
Now, you know the rest of the story. Jesus would then go on. Again, it actually says that his spirit was troubled, that he was angry. He would then go and tell Lazarus to get up and shake off your grave clothes, get up and and come back to life. And that's exactly what happened. Lazarus did come back to life. So why did Jesus weep? Why did Jesus cry? He could have gone there and said, hey, guys, stop your moaning, stop your uh, crying and your weeping. It's okay. I'm here. You're over-exaggerating it. I'll be able to fix it. He could have done that. He could have rocked up and said, do you guys have no faith in me? I'm the saviour. I'm the Messiah. You have no faith in me? He didn't do any of those. He went there and he cried. He cried. He wept. You see, Jesus had empathy. Jesus had empathy. Jesus saw that people were hurting. It made him hurt. It made him sad. He then showed empathy. He was mourning with them. Fast forward and we we read another story of Jesus again out and about and what he's doing again. He's talking to people and uh, he sees uh, that he doesn't see. There's a a big crowd around him and that, you know, when Jesus in, in his highest popularity of his ministry, people would flock to him and push and shove and try to get close to Jesus. Actually, it was really hard to get close to Jesus because he, he had this kind of pop star following that people wanted a piece of Jesus. And Jesus is walking around and he hears these two people, two blind beggars, it says, two people who were blind and they would beg for their food or they would beg for money. And they call out to him and they say, Lord, Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David, Lord, have mercy on us. Now, Jesus' disciples, or maybe not his disciples, actually, I think the text says the rest of the crowd say, shut up. You might be blind, but you're not deaf, so shut up. Get away. You don't, Jesus doesn't want anything to do with you. You see, these people knew that blind beggars were, were everywhere. They're kind of like, you just, yep, yeah, and just push them away. They're blind, they're beggars, they do what they do. Get away from this Jesus guy, they say. But these two blind beggars don't give up and they keep yelling out, Lord, have mercy on us. And all of a sudden, Jesus hears them say that, and he turns to them and he says, guys, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? And they say, please heal us. May we be able to see. And I think that this is really interesting because in the text, it didn't say that Jesus just healed them. It says that Jesus got down and he touched their eyes. I don't think, these guys, I don't think anyone's touched these guys in years. They're beggars. They live on the street. But Jesus has compassion. Jesus has empathy, but he also has compassion because he wants to alleviate or stop the suffering. He gets down on his knees and he touches their eyes and now they can see. And not only do they see, imagine that. Whoa! I've been next to you my whole life. Gee, you're uglier than I thought you were. Whatever. They would have seen things for the first time. And you know what they did? It says that they followed Jesus. They then followed Jesus. Jesus had compassion. Jesus had empathy, but he also had compassion. This morning, that's what we're looking at. Empathy and compassion. Turn to the person next to you and say, empathy and compassion. Empathy and compassion. And and the reason we're looking at it, because our theme for 2021 is goodness. And if if we want to develop a culture of goodness, then we need to demonstrate empathy and compassion. Individuals who demonstrate empathy and compassion, that is goodness. A church who demonstrates, or there's demonstrations of empathy and compassion in, in a church, that is goodness. If we want to develop a culture of goodness, then we would see demonstrations of empathy and compassion. Throughout the uh, scriptures, you will see time and time again the themes of empathy and compassion woven through the biblical story. Empathy and compassion. Look at these Bible verses. There's, There's numerous Bible verses. This is talking about the compassion of God. It says, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, we've heard Luke's story, we've heard uh, Martin's story. Uh, some people would just put those, the situations that they've been uh, through as, as circumstantial. But no, 
Maybe it's this, this verse being played out in their life. God is a God of compassion, a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This verse here, it says, uh, uh, this is talking about Jesus. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize about the American way. We, uh, with our weakness, Jesus can emphasize with our weakness. Why? Because he came to us as one of us. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be human because he was human. Then we read here in Colossians, talking directly to us. I love this. Think of the imagery here. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, when you say yes to Jesus, you're part of God's chosen people. Holy means you're set apart. You're dearly loved. Clothe yourself. What do you do with clothes? You put them on. You can take them off as well, but you put them on. And we're here. The instruction here is to clothe yourself. Wear compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So we come back to this, uh, sorry, we come back to our words being uh, empathy and compassion and that they're woven through the Bible and that when we demonstrate empathy and compassion, we're building a culture of goodness, a culture of goodness. Now I want to quickly look at the words empathy and compassion and and this other word sympathy because sometimes we we mix those words up. There are similar, but they have different, uh, different meanings. And the first one there is sympathy. Uh, and this word here means that you, you understand what the person is feeling, sympathetic towards someone. You're not experiencing that person's feeling, but you understand them. You're able to understand what the person is feeling. So if someone's father or mother or, or friend or relative passes away or dies, you understand. Now, you might not feel that, you might not feel sad, but you understand why that person would be sad. That's sympathy. You're sympathetic to that person's uh, position or that circumstance. You are sad. That's why we send sympathy cards or condolences. So that's sympathy. Then we get empathy. Empathy. There it is. Empathy is completely different. Uh, We we sometimes confuse uh, sympathy and empathy. We, We bring them together, but empathy is completely different. Slightly removed. Because empathy refers to not just understanding, it actually refers to feeling another person's feelings. Feeling what they are feeling. When Jesus wept, that was empathy. That wasn't just sympathy. Oh, yeah, I understand. Lazarus died. No, no, he he was empathizing because he felt what they were feeling. How do they feel? You're asking that question. You try to imagine how that might feel for you if you were in that situation. It's a mode of relating. It's the mark of empathy is to feel another's pain. Now, you can show empathy, especially when you've been through a similar situation as someone or you've suffered or illness or, or a, a whatever, hard, hardship. You, you know what that's like and so you can feel that. But you can also feel empathy for someone even if you haven't been through that situation. We all know what it's like to be human, yes? The human experience, though our stories are all different, they're all very similar as well. And so we can show empathy or experience empathy Even if we haven't been in that situation, if we place ourselves and think, what would it be like to be like that? You know who does that really well? Now, this it's not just a reason to get my dog up on the screen. This is my dog, Rocky. I love Rocky. And the reason I show you Rocky is because Rocky is awesome at empathy. When when one of our kids is crying or sad, he's the first one to run up to them and lay by them to lick their face. And sometimes he just sits there. He doesn't say... Well, he doesn't talk. I was going to say, he doesn't say anything. He's like, can you take me for a walk or throw me a bone? No, no, he he just sits there. He lies there. It's like he knows when you're sad. If someone is sad, or if I've had a hard day at work, and I sit on that, he come up and he'll sit next to me and he'll push in and he'll just like, I'm here. Now, you might think, oh, you're just a dog person. I never used to be, by the way. But you know, they actually, they, they have, dogs have an ability to read emotions and mirror them. They've actually done research on this, that dogs can do that and show empathy. They did some research where they had people uh, who were moaning or, or making uh, sounds of pain and had dogs walk past and dogs would stop and go in to see if they could help. Dogs can show empathy. Rocky shows me empathy. 
Look at this quote here, a little bit more theologically based than Rocky. This is Scott McKnight. It says, empathy is the ability to feel what someone else feels, to exit your own feelings and enter the experience of others. Thus, empathy is the ability to see the world through others' pain. To see the world through others' pain. Here's uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He defines it a little bit similar, I suppose. He says, we must learn to regard people less in light of what they do or omit to do and more in light of what they suffer. Why? Because when you, when you do that, you're connecting on another level, on a deeper level. When you empathise with someone, you're connecting. You're saying, we are same, we are people, we are human. We're connecting on that level. The Apostle Paul in Romans says it like this, rejoice of those who rejoice. You know, when you, actually, I was thinking, when you rejoice with others, you're, you're empathising, you're showing empathy as well. Because sometimes you don't want to rejoice you think that's not fair why did they get that and I didn't but it says here rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep that's empathy it's connecting on a heart level it's connecting with feelings the mark of empathy is to feel another's pain we've all heard of the saying walking in their shoes that's what empathy is now, you may not have done that, but you can put yourself there and think, what would it be like to have that happen? Or what would it be like to, to go through that? Empathy and compassion. Now, again, I said, there's, there, there we are. Uh, sometimes there's some crossover p- between sympathy and empathy, um, but they're, they're distinctly different. Sympathy is an understanding. Empathy is feeling. Now, when we remove those things, when we get rid of sympathy and empathy, we get things that are really not great, in fact, toxic. We get apathy. Apathy says, kind of like the story, uh, well, we've seen blind beggars, they're everywhere. Apathy says, I don't care, I can't be bothered. Apathy is not a culture of goodness, if there's apathy. And then, if we remove empathy, we get selfishness. People lacking empathy will generally be selfish because they're not concerned about another person's or, or, or going in another person's shoes. They disregard others' feelings and thoughts and desires. Now, we all have a tendency to be selfish, but we don't want to have a culture of selfishness. And so when we lack empathy, that's where it heads. It, le- it heads to selfishness. Sympathy, empathy, and then we get the long-lost brother, compassion. Compassion. Compassion is beautiful. Compassion is this strong desire to alleviate suffering. And I reckon some of you felt empathy when Martin and Luke were sharing, but then you may have even felt compassion. You're thinking, how can I help them? What, if I was at school and they were getting bullied, I would want to do something to stop it. That is compassion. I will clock that guy. Punch him in the bang. Uh, No, that's not compassion, is it? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it is. Anyway, uh, this is what happens with compassion. Compassion kicks empathy or kicks up the empathy and sympathy a notch. It goes up a notch. Compassion is action. Compassion means your feelings have prompted you to take action and relieve the suffering of another person or to, to try to relieve the suffering of another person. Compassion is the willingness to relieve the suffering of another. So, so when, when you are compassionate, you feel the pain of another, that's empathy. You recognise the pain of another, that's sympathy. But then you do what you can to alleviate that pain, alleviate that suffering. When we look through the, the Gospels, we see this phrase all the time, Jesus had what? Compassion. And then he would do something. Jesus had compassion and then he healed someone. Jesus had compassion because they were like sheep gone to the slaughter. And then he would teach. Jesus had compassion. There's that one story where Jesus has been teaching all day long. Thousands of people there. He knows that these people won't be able to eat anything. He knows that they can't go to the local IGA. They won't, they won't get food in time. And it actually says that he had compassion for them because of that. And so what does he do? He organises food. That's compassion. He, he, he makes something happen. Empathy, he, he's moved, he connects, and then he does something. Compassion and empathy. Empathy and compassion. Here's another way of looking at it here. This is uh, what they call the empathy scale. 
Uh, and I, I was looking at this, and you can see the vertical line is the amount of effort that needs to be applied. The horizontal line is the amount of understanding and engagement that you have. So the further you go up, you go out. The further you go up, the more effort you need. The further you go across, the more engagement and understanding. We start with pity. I'm sorry for you. Sympathy, I feel for you. Empathy, I feel with you. And then compassion, I'm moved by you to do something. So that's the empathy scale. And what is all this? Are we getting a lesson in psychology? No. We want to develop a culture of goodness. And where there's empathy and compassion, there is goodness. There is goodness. Can we see that link? Absolutely. If there's no empathy, there's apathy. If there's no empathy, there's selfishness. That's not good. That's not good. That's bad. We want goodness. We want goodness. Here's a picture of a guy by the name of Reverend Dr. Sir Alan Walker. Now, I don't know if you know Alan Walker. He's, he's the late Alan Walker. He's passed away now. He, he's got an incredible story. He tells a story of uh, one day he had this phone conversation with a guy who was incredibly distressed, deep, deep depression. And he was having this phone conversation with him and, and he was moved. That's empathy. His own emotions were moved. That's empathy. He later found out that that young man died. He took his own life. And so he was moved with empathy, but then he was also moved with compassion. And so determined, determined to, to, to not have people be isolated or not have people have a lack of support uh, um, during times of mental illness or depression and all that kind of stuff, he said, we, I've got to do something to, to, to alleviate this, to stop this from happening again. So Mr. Walker launched in 1963 a 24-hour crisis hotline. Does anyone know what this is? Lifeline. He's the founder of Lifeline. Lifeline was founded in 1963 because he had one conversation with this person. He was moved, empathy, and then compassion. Don't want this to happen again. Do you know today, Lifeline, they get over a million calls a year. A million calls that's almost the same amount as my teenagers do texting. A million calls a year. There's over 1,000 staff, paid staff, and over 10,000 volunteers. Incredible. Why? Because this man was moved, empathy and compassion. Empathy and compassion. Now, uh, the Reverend Sir Alan Walker was a believer and he knows that uh, we have an empathetic and compassionate saviour. And that's what drove him. That we have a, a Jesus who has empathy and has compassion. Look at these passages here. Uh, when Jesus landed, here's another perfect example of this. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he just left and went home and watched TV. That's not how the verse goes, because compassion is an action. No, so he began teaching them. They needed direction. They were like lost sheep. So compassion says, I've got to do something. I've got to help them. I give them direction and guidance. We looked at this passage already, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses. He knows our weaknesses. He knows your, your pains, your fears, your anxiety. He knows all of that. He understands that we have an empathetic and compassionate saviour. You know, I looked at this, this scale here, and I, as I was preparing this sermon, I was looking at this, and I thought, wow, what happens if I flip it? If I flip this scale, I think I, I, think I can see Jesus' empathy and compassion. You see, see uh, uh, if I put like any good pastor would, a line there, there's heaven and then there's earth. You see, Greek mythology and Roman mythology says that the gods are in heaven and they have pity on us mortals. Don't they? They don't really care for us. They're like, oh, those poor mortals. They just exist and then they die. But see, this is where, where Jesus is different. Because Jesus, and, and if we look at the scale, so the, 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 the scale that's vertical going down now is effort. It takes a bit of an effort to, from a, for a guy to become a man and come down towards us to, to clothe himself in skin. And so one, uh, John 1, 14, is it John 1, 14? It says, the word which is Jesus became flesh 
and moved into our neighborhood, made his dwelling among us. That's empathy and compassion. You see what I've done with this scale? It's, I think it's, it's awesome. I'm going to write a book. Flip the scale. It's Jesus coming down. I think this is brilliant. And then we see the ultimate outworking of compassion. What is the ultimate outworking of compassion? The cross. Do you think that the cross required effort? Do you think it required understanding and engagement? Of course it did. That's why I flipped the scale. It's cool. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love for us. That while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, he could have been up there and just had pity on us. No, 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 no. He has empathy and compassion. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have an empathetic and compassionate saviour. And therefore, what does that mean? It means we need to be an empathetic and compassionate people. Because we have a, a saviour who has empathy for us and has compassion for us, because it's demonstrated in that flipping of that scale, therefore we are called, we are set apart to be empathetic, to show empathy and to be compassionate towards one another and towards all people. We are called to be a people of empathy, not apathy. We're called to be a people of compassion, not selfishness. That's what we are called to. Look at these passages here. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind and, say the word, compassionate. All that we've just learned about compassion, efforts, engagement, understanding, action, we accord to be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. And I love this one here in 2 Corinthians, because look, at, look what it says here. Praise be to God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts all of us in our troubles. Therefore, because of that, what are we supposed to do? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Does that make sense? What a beautiful path. It says that because we've been comforted, then we need to show compassion. We need to live out compassion. Quickly, how do we do that? The first one is this. There needs to be an awareness of suffering. Now, everyone's, it's not a competition of how much someone has suffered or the pain that they're going through. Sometimes that, no. But everyone's got stuff that they're dealing with. But we need to have an awareness of it. We don't want to step over it. There's a parable in the Gospels that Jesus talks about a rich man who would feast on the luxuries of his wealth. He would eat and be merry. And there was a poor man who's... Funny enough, his name was Lazarus as well. Not the Lazarus that died, but in this parable, the poor beggar was called Lazarus. Do you know this story? Well, he would, he would sit out the, out the front of this rich man's castle, basically, covered in sores and wounds. The dogs would lick his wounds, and he wasn't even strong enough to kind of push them away. And in the story, what happens is that the rich man dies, and the rich man goes to hell. Why does the rich man go to hell? Why does the rich man go to hell? He, he, wasn't, he, he didn't order Lazarus to be removed from the front of his house. He could have. He was powerful enough and had enough money. He didn't do that. He, he didn't uh, have any objections. So every now and then the, 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 the scraps from the rich man's table would kind of be thrown out to the poor and they would kind of scramble to grab the crumbs. He didn't stop that from happening. He could have. It makes a lot of mess on your driveway. He could have done that. He, he wasn't cruel to Lazarus. He didn't walk past Lazarus and kick him and say, you beggar, get out of my yard. He didn't do any of that. But why does he go to hell? Because he ignored Lazarus. Jesus is teaching that. He had apathy. He ignored him. He never noticed Lazarus. He accepted him as part of the landscape. What do we accept as part of the landscape? What do we not notice? Maybe it's out of convenience. Because to show compassion and to show empathy would require effort. But Jesus in this parable says, Lazarus, because you didn't do that, you're, you're, you're gone. You're gone. It's easier to step over them. So we need to have an awareness of suffering. What are, who are the people around us who are suffering? It may be severe stuff. It may just be having a hard time. The other thing we need to do then is pause. Pause and put yourself in their shoes. 
try to think, what would it be like if I was in that situation? What would it be like if I had lost my job? What would it be like if I, if I was uh, being given that health diagnosis? What would it be like if, if I was being bullied? What, put yourself in their shoes. Now, you may, it doesn't mean you've had to do it. Doesn't mean you've, you know, the classic, oh, I need to try drugs so I know what it's like to help people with drugs, or I need to try this. So, no, that's, it doesn't mean that, but just put yourself in there. What would it be like? And ask them. Listen. One of the best ways you can show empathy is to actually listen to people's stories, to actually sit and listen and hear their stories. Let, let me hear your story. Tell me your story. You know, when you do that, I know for myself, when people do that to me, I feel like they're interested, and that is actually them demonstrating empathy. I don't have this up on the screen. Mark Twain, he says, and I think he's right, he says, you should never tell people your problems because 80% of them won't care, and the other 20% will think you deserve them. And, and, and so we are reluctant to share our problems, aren't we? And so let's, let's, now there's some people that tell you everything, but for the majority, we don't want to. And so we need to invite them in by listening. Let me sit and listen and hear. That requires effort, doesn't it? That requires engagement. That requires understanding. Hear their stories. Place yourself in the stories. That is empathy. And that is good. When we have people who are demonstrating empathy, I'm struggling with that word because I've got to lift this. We have a culture of goodness. Isn't it good when people can hear and listen other, to other people's stories? Then we do this, a prayerful discernment. And why do we, why do we have a prayerful discernment? The reason we have a prayerful discernment is because we are, we are Christians. We have the spirit that lives in us. And therefore, when we're listening to their stories or, or wanting to know how to demonstrate compassion, compassion, we need to ask Jesus. Lord, how would you help me help this person? Lord, what, is, what am I hearing in this story? What, what do, action do you want me to do? What action do you want me to do? So, so we awareness of suffering, we, we pause, put ourselves in their shoes, we active listen, we pray, Lord, what would you help me, want me to do? And then there's action a responsiveness or readiness to help relieve the suffering. That is compassion. Now, that, that might be something like taking a meal to someone's house or might be, found, be the, becoming the founder of Lifeline. We, you don't know what that is, but that's why you pray, you're aware, you listen. Now, one of the most common things that you, you may hear in your own head is, I can't help everyone. No, you won't be able to help everyone, but you can help someone. You can help someone. A church that demonstrates empathy and compassion is developing a culture of goodness. Don't we want to do that? Don't we want to be people who, who demonstrate empathy and compassion to each other, but also to the, to the, beyond the walls? Beyond the walls. Let me finish with this little story. And this is a true story about a young guy, Christopher, his name was, and he was playing, this is in the U.S., he was playing basketball with some friends, May 16, 1998, and he was shot in the chest. Uh, I'm not sure whether there was an alteration, a, alter, a fight or whatever. Uh, a bullet went straight through his chest into his aorta. Now, uh, his friends helped him. Hospital wasn't too far, but they had to carry him uh, within 40 feet. How many metres is that? 10, 3, 6, nine, 12 metres roughly? Yeah. Is that pretty good? Yeah, 12 metres from the front of the hospital door to the entrance. They couldn't carry him no more. He was, they were exhausted. Their mate, imagine even the emotional, of you know, the trauma of seeing someone shot. And 20, 30 metres to the front door of the hospital. They, they couldn't get any further. They ran into the hospital and asked for help. Now, I'm not poking at the hospital staff here. Here's, you can Google this, it's all over news stories. The hospital staff refused to help Christopher, saying that it was against the, the hospital policies to administer aid to those outside the hospital. Now, this it goes on if you read, read the story. They were, they were following their protocol and they eventually had to change that protocol. 
or those policies. Uh, a passing police officer came by and was strong enough to lift up Christopher and, and take him into the hospital, but it was too late and, and Christopher died about an hour later. We are called as followers of Jesus. We want to have a culture of goodness in here where there's empathy and there's compassion. But we want to go out. Sometimes we think that people have to come in here, into the church, to receive our empathy and compassion when they're just out there. Our, our job is to go out past these walls when we leave on a Sunday to demonstrate empathy and compassion, to be moved, to hear stories, to actively uh, look at ways of sol solving suffering or alleviate suffering, to pray to God, God, how would you help, uh, want me to help in this situation? Beyond the church walls, beyond the Sunday, that's a culture of goodness. Most gracious Father, thank you that you are a God who loves us, who demonstrates love for us, that while we were still sinners, you came down. You sent your son down, Jesus, to die for us. That Jesus demonstrates empathy. He wept. That Jesus demonstrates compassion. Ultimately, he goes to the cross. Why? To alleviate our suffering. That we may have life that is eternal, free of addictions and, and, and pain and, and, and bondage, Lord. That you set us free from that. You're a God of empathy and compassion. Father, help us to be people here at Lakeside that demonstrate empathy through listening and connecting to story, but also live it out through compassion that is active. Lord, we want to be a place that is good. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing.